If you can find the hamburger hidden in this picture, then you can win a run through our prize-filled house, where what you find is what you keep on Finders Keepers. What does the abbreviation INC period stand for? If you can answer this and a bunch of other questions, maybe you've got what it takes to... We're wow. inside the infamous Think Fast locker room where every fool is a dunce of a double and every president is part of a pair. If you can match these crazy couples together, you can be a grand prize winner on... You know it's a me thing? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Sal needs to think fast. Today on the gold team, it's Brian and Melissa. And on the blue team, Mark and Angela. And they're here to play Think Fast, the game where a mercurial mind means multitudinous moolah. And now, here's the host of Finders Keepers, the man with a hidden talent, Wesley York. Hello. Good luck, team. Good luck. And here's your host, a man who hopes to play Jason's next Friday the 13th movie, Lou Schneider. Oh, thank you, Maria. And now, here's the host of Think Fast. Think fast. Welcome, audience. How we doing today? Let's hear it. Yeah. Submit it for the approval of the Midnight Society. Oh joy! Let's rock. It makes me wanna fight. Dear Journal, it's me, Doug. Do you have it? Baby's gotta do what a baby's gotta do. <laughs> On your mark, get set. Oh, here it goes. Welcome to our game show, Slimesters and Gakoids, for another episode of Splat Attack, where we're taking it back to the slime-filled past. I'm your Gakorific contestant, Brett. And I am your slime-tested co-host, Alex. And Brett, going along with taking it back to the slime-filled past, I believe that's actually what we've done because we've ended up making ourselves a little time-traveling machine, and we've gone back to the past, and we have been digging and working our tails off to try to preserve some awesome, legendary status of Nickelodeon history. So, yeah. Brett, what have you got there? Well, believe it or not, um, we went back to, uh, you know, the year 1992, and... Without anyone knowing, we dug up the time capsule that Michael Maley buried at that ceremony to see what actually was inside. Because, you know, when I first saw the ceremony as like a three-year-old back then, I had no idea what was going on at Nickelodeon Studios. So I I felt, you know, the curiosity got the best of me. We have the time machine. Why not? Let's find out, put it back, and then move on with our lives. And it turns out when I, you know, cracked open that that really tight steel seal of that big ginormous cylindrical time capsule. You know who I found in there? Well, actually, I found a who. Not one who, but three who's and not what's. Uh, contrary to belief, there is not just, you know, Nickelodeon Studios t-shirts in there. There's not just hats. There's not even just like vials of slime and gack. But we actually found three, three hosts of three Nickelodeon game shows from that era all hiding out in there. It's ridiculous, but we are so thankful to have them here today. 
we've got, you know, Wesley Ewer, Lou Snyder, and of course, Skip Lackey, each from their respective game shows. So let's uh, crack open this lid and uh, see how they're doing today. <laughs> and hopefully they don't smell too bad after all this time. <laughs> oh, no, I hear that uh, nostalgic slime time capsule keeps them well preserved. So I think they should be fine. I'm glad to hear that because, uh, <laughs> you know, I feel like 30 year old slime might have a strange odor that is hard to get out of your clothing <laughs> no we, we time traveled so oh, right 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 we're in the year 1992 so it's still fresh straight it's off completely of, uh, fresh so now they're good you know, straight out of the kitchen <laughs> yeah well um let's let's just have some fun and reminisce with uh you know our three game show hosts and to let all of you slimesters and gagoids in on how this is going to take place uh for this intro we actually had already had the conversations with them uh there was a lot of different scheduling conflicts between the three well should be five of us but uh there's in a way kind of two separate interviews we had one interview that was solo because he was limited on time and then we had another with two and we were originally going to have these very segmented but two of them knew each other very well and there was a lot of interaction between the two so as you listen for the rest of the uh, episode you'll notice that there's one solo and two together but all three have incredibly fun things to share so let's dive in and jim convoy you took door number one and we'll take a look and see what we have back there for you so introducing our first host of the night we have the wonderful the delightful the home-centric rabid wesley your Welcome to our home, Wesley. <laughs> hey, listen, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And, and, and I appreciate being on with such a, an esteemed group of people today. And of course, Wesley was the host of Finders Keepers. Brett, can you tell us a little bit about Finders Keepers? Of course. Well, behind these doors, we found out that Finders Keepers aired from November 2nd, 1987 to March 10th, 1989. And the premise of the show is that it's pretty much like I Spy mixed with a little bit of, uh, you know, tearing tearing the house apart. You look through a lot of hidden objects on screen for the first round when two teams, the red and the blue team, compete. Um, and usually finding those hidden objects correctly first before the other team allows you to search a room in the Finder's Keeper's house. And there's two rounds and, you know, they just go through different ones across the eight rooms and whoever has the most points at the end wins and there's pretty much different tiers of prizes like they're on Double Dare with the obstacle course. And usually kids win like a trip to Space Camp or to Universal Studios at the end. It's it's pretty standard by now, but back then that's that's what they could afford to give them. And uh, it, you know, like Make the Grade and Think Fast, these three shows happen to each have, you know, two different versions or two seasons, each with two different hosts. Uh, Larry Toffler hosted the syndicated version after uh, its Nickelodeon days and it went to other channels. Uh, likewise, with Make the Grade, we also had Robert Edward Morris, who hosted season two after Lou's time was over. And then Michael Carrington uh, hosted Think Fast before Skip Lackey back when it was filmed at, uh, I believe, WHYY TV 12 in Philadelphia, where they did a lot of like big studio game show stuff before Nickelodeon Studios really had their own home in Orlando, Florida. And uh, going along with Finders Keepers uh, with legendary heroes and uh, Mark Summers was uh, a big part of Finders Keepers there for a while, well, not a big part, but he and Wesley had a relationship and we do have an advertisement where uh, you actually see Mark Summers and Wesley on the set of the Finders Keepers. Mark Summers learns about Finders Keepers. Wesley, I don't quite understand how to work one of these things. Uh, Hillary, show them how we play with it in our house. Sure. 
but also Harvey himself from Double Dare also hosted, well, did the voiceover work for an episode of Finders Keepers. Yeah, he he's the man of the golden voice back then, and they couldn't get enough of him, so they plucked him right there, and uh, he helped announce the prizes and occasionally bantered with Leslie, just like he did with Mark. And I really love seeing that rapport between the two shows, despite the fact that you know some viewers and some cable executives thought that there was like a ongoing rivalry between them because everyone was trying to figure out what to do with Double Dare's success once they you know pulled Nickelodeon out of its lost leader status and actually into a front runner for kids television in the mid to late 80s. Katie and Matt, you got five prizes. Harvey, tell them what they won. Wesley, they're going to take home the Toys R Us gift certificate, the Ram Runner scooter, the Tyco car, the telescope, the Unitron, the Casio keyboard. They also got the hidden prize room along with the cash. It's a prize package worth almost $2,000 each. Congratulations. Tune us again, and we'll see you next time on Finders Keepers. Bye-bye, everybody. Promotional consideration provided by Converse, the fantastically colorful sneakers that you see on the feet of our contestants. They're brought to you by Converse, makers of fun footwear for kids of all ages. And by Howard Johnson, the magical vacation at the beautiful Howard Johnson Resort in the Walt Disney Village, the magical kingdom of Epcot Center right at your doorstep. This is your announcer, Harvey Sanders, back here next time with the best hit the house party on TV. Finders keepers, see you soon. So I guess we'll we'll start because I am very interested to know. Uh, I know we've got a, a list of questions, but prior to this, I mean, you were on Land of the Lost. Uh, how did you go from being on Land of the Lost to Finders Keepers? Uh, well, I mean, I re- you know I was on Days of Our Lives for about a decade, and then I Land of the Lost at the same time. So in the morning. Because I got to do both shows at once, because they're both NBC shows. So in the morning, I got to do Days of Our Lives and leave early. And the cast hated me for three years because I always got, I came in in the morning, I left early. So I would be crying that my girlfriend's leaving me and I'm having problems and sexual stuff and this stuff. In the afternoon, I'm running to Goldwyn Studios going, Ron, Holly, Ron, there's a dinosaur. And so it was a little schizophrenic. But game shows have always been my thing. And I was fortunate enough to be a kind of a semi-regular on Password with Alan Ludden. And I played with Betty White and, and uh, oh, my God, Elizabeth Montgomery. I, it was, it, it, I got to teach Lucille Ball how to play alphabetics. Oh, wow. I spent the whole day. She spent the day with my dressing with, with my mother. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Because they came in in the morning and they said, Wesley, would you mind teaching Lucy? I was We were filming uh, five of the shows. So would you mind teaching Lucille Ball how to play you know, alphabetics, because she had played the original version, black and white. And I said, Lisa Ball, are you crazy? Of course I'm a teacher. I pick up the phone, I call my mother, because we're at NBC Burbank, and my mother lived in Burbank. And I said, mother, what are you doing today? She goes, nothing. I go, nothing. She said, you want to spend the day with Lisa Ball? (laughs) (laughs) I swear, in 10 minutes, she was through the gate, parked, and in my dressing room. Yes. And Lucy came in and, and spent the whole day with me, and I would go film a half an hour. I don't know who was the, the, the star that day. I think it was like Vicki Lawrence. And I would uh, then come back, change clothes, because you know you had to wear five different outfits so it looked like a week. And she, we would talk about the clues and how alphabetics went and had lunch together. And you know, it, it was it was it was a, one of those wonderful, one of those incredible moments. But but game shows have always been my forte. I did a lot of pilots for different shows, pot of gold, different ones, and um, you know, match game, I, God, chain reaction. 
you know, to, you know, it was fun. It was, it was, and I had always wanted to be a game show host. It had been my dream. And, and I remember when I got my first game show, I was flying back from some, I was doing a play, I think in New Orleans. And I ran to Bob Barker and, and we, 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 we had a connecting flight and we're sitting in a, in a, in a, in a lounge. And I say, I said, excuse me, sir. Cause that was like my hero. And I go, I, I just got my first game show. I'm hosting my first game show. And he goes, let me tell you the secret. Well, what is the secret? He says, remember, you're not the star. And I took that, you know, as, 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 as gospel. We do too, actually. Uh, Phil Moore, who's the host of the Nickelodeon show, Nick Arcade, joined us for our season one final episode uh, for the 30th anniversary of that. And he pretty much mentioned the same thing too, where he mentioned, you know, I, I may be doing all the, the waving and talking and reading the cue cards and keeping everyone together, but I'm just a traffic cop. I'm not, I'm not the host. I'm not the star. It's just making sure everything comes together through all the ins and outs to make sure the show happens. And the more we do this podcast, the more I believe in that because of all the people that we've managed to, you know, gather here to talk about these special topics and relive the past with our listeners. Yeah, it's and it's it's such an honor to be. I mean, I, I watch there's so a game show network has so many new game shows, and there's some of them are spectacular. I'm loving them. I mean, America says, and you know, I, Chain Reaction is back on without celebrities and and different shows, and I get so envious. You know, 25 words or less, and I'm like, oh, I want to be back. I want to be. I want to be back. That I'm, I'm as a host or, or as, as a uh, as a celebrity and. I sit there in front of the TV and of course buzzer TV plays a lot of the reruns of the shows I'm in. And uh, who would think that all those years ago doing a game show that every once in a while I would get it, I'd get five checks in the mail, each one for a dollar 37 <laughs> episode of password plus. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's it, you know, to have been part of Alan Ludden's history and Betty White. I played with Betty also. And, um, it was quite an honor, and I remember the first, when I was hosting my very first pilot for NBC called Pot of Gold, Jeff Edwards, and it was the day of Alan Ludden's funeral. He had passed away, and he and I had become, Alan and I became friends outside of Password, and I was very upset, and the studio where they put the set for Pot of Gold was the Password Plus set. So I'm in his studio, I'm sitting in his makeup chair. And many times Alan and I'd be in the makeup chair laughing, you know, and ribbing each other. But he always did one thing and I loved it. <laughs> he said, listen, listen, look, 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 look. always take the eyebrow pencil and put a little line right here because it makes your lips look so much fuller on TV. And so I, I forever, I mean, every, every show I ever hosted after that, I would always put the little line under there. And I remember the day of Alice Fuel, it was just down the street at Forest Lawn and I couldn't go. And I'm sitting in the makeup chair, which was his, all by myself and I'm crying. And, and I take the eyebrow pencil and I look up and go, Alan, sobbing, this is for you, my buddy. And uh, do the little eyebrow pencil, you know, so. That's a beautiful but, tribute. So much rich history behind it. Yeah. I was lucky. I was so lucky. I'll, I remember the first, um, when, when they told me I was going to get to 
be a, a celebrity on uh, Password, which was my favorite show. I said, please, please don't make it Elizabeth Montgomery, please. First of all, she terrified me. And, and she was the best player of Password. And so I arrive at NBC, I go through the gate, because we filmed Days of Our Lives there, but it was the weekend. So I go there and I have Johnny Carson's spot. They've given me Johnny Carson, because it's the weekend, he's not there. And they put my name over Johnny's name. I think, and I look to my right, says Elizabeth Montgomery. Jeez, I was so, so scared. I mean, I was like, I mean, what was I, 24, 25? I don't know what I was, something like that. You know, and she was this huge star. And we ended up having such a good time battling because we we fought each other. I mean, it was because when I did it was a celebrity on a game show, I I never took it for granted because people had worked so hard to get there. It was a, you know, it was it, it the money was really important to everyone. And so, and especially Elizabeth and I, we fought. And that so they pitted us, Password pitted us a lot of times against each other. We we got to do many weeks together, which was extraordinary. But um, but I always hated celebrities that just went for the laugh when you're trying to play a serious game. And there's money involved. If it's if it's all about laughs, like, you know, if it's going to be like, uh, you know, Hollywood Squares, then fine. Everything's funny. But for shows like Password and things like that, it's like fight, fight for it, you know. And uh, so any celebrities that just, you know, they would just brush it off and the celebrity and the contestant would lose. And you could see the contestant's face. You could see the sadness. I mean, they had fought and they're one shot to do this. And they ended up with this, this celebrity that just wanted to get a laugh. And, uh, you know, so I'm on my soapbox right now, by the way. Oh so. no, you're fine. Okay. We're we, loving we, it. we live for these kind of stories. So no, it's, <laughs> it's, we're eating it up. Did you, did you watch any nineties or eighties Nickelodeon shows at the time when finders keepers uh, was first getting onto air or did you pretty much just stay in your own lane when it came to hosting the show? Well, at the time, I, I, Nickelodeon was a paid service. It wasn't, you know, it was, it, I, didn't, I didn't even have Nickelodeon when I got the job. So I didn't, I didn't have access to it. And a lot of people didn't have access. Now Nickelodeon, of course, is available all over the place. But Double Dare, of course, was, we were pitted with Mark Summers. And, uh, and Mark and I became friends. And, and I remember that sometimes Finders Keepers would beat Mark, would beat Double Dare in the ratings. And I'd be, yeah, I was like so excited. And... And in fact, I just did a show where Mark and I just did a show. He hosted a Hollywood Squares version. It was a Hollywood Squares for, it was a fundraiser for the Hollywood Museum. And, and, and uh, it, it, so, so our, our lives just sort of passed, you know, here and there and stuff like that. But uh, no, I, I, I didn't. But Finders Keepers was such an extraordinary show. It was in Philadelphia. And it was, as you see in the background, that was a two-story set. And it was... Um, and an IMAX theater, it was an old abandoned IMAX theater because they had to have the height to put in that two-story building. And it was so much fun, the props and, uh, you know, I'd go into a room, the kids would win the right to go in a room and we'd trash, trash the room and, you know, give them a clue like uh, grandma takes these out at night and we're looking for clacker teeth or something. And we had 60 seconds to destroy everything. And every parent in America hated me because they had a home game. No. And did the kids imitate doing yeah. that at home? Let's go, let's go play finders keepers in the bedroom. Let's break some plates in the kitchen. <laughs> Breaking things. Because oh on the set, everything was breakable. The computer screens, they were all, you know, like sugar-coated or whatever it was. So they mm -hmm. it didn't hurt the so kids. Be safe. Break it. Yeah. So when you're playing at home, you're destroying their house. 
But I, I ran into a contestant recently, a kid that was on the show. Of course, he's, you know, he's in his 40s or something, 40s, I guess. And I was at an autograph show for Land of the Lost at one of the Comic-Cons. And he comes and said, I must say, I was, I was a contestant. And I won. And he said, I cheated. Oh, and no. I said, what do you mean you cheated? He goes, well, I watched the show and I saw that, that the cameras would always focus on the object. So the audience knew where the object was. So when, when you told me to go find the object, I looked for one of the, because there's several cameras. I looked for the one camera that was focusing on something. Oh, and I found what I was looking for. Clever boy. And he, and he used that to, to find the object. I thought, good for him. Smart. Well done. Yeah, yeah, clever. I'm guessing he got that trip to space camp he always wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I love the prizes back then. That, you know, what, what I love is Converse was our sponsor. And I had, and every show they gave me a new pair of Converse. Every show. I mean, I even, I mean, they were glow in the dark. They were zebra skin. There was lion and leopard and blues and pinks and every color you can imagine. I was the most popular person when I went back to Los Angeles for my friends that were size nine. <laughs> if you were a size nine, they were, ah, here's a, here's a free pair of condoms. I'm sure there's a line out the door at your house, huh? <laughs> exactly. I said, well, what do you want? Glow in the dark? What, what the heck do you want? How many do you want? <laughs> I actually got a Nickelodeon colored pair for my birthday back in 2014, but sadly they made them a little bit too big, so I had to send them back. But oh. that feeling of having them customized for me just was a beautiful feeling. So I can imagine what it was like for you to get all those shoes and have fun with their designs. It, it really was. It was, you know, I, I, it was, I gotta tell you, hosting that game show was truly one of the greatest experiences of my life. I, I loved it. And I love the energy, the excitement. It was, you know, it's like guerrilla theater. It's, it happens. It's, it's a half an hour and it happens in a half an hour. And that's it. And it's, that's, I don't know. That's why I, as, as an audience member now watching game shows, I am always thrilled to watch them because it's, it, it's so real and it's, you know, it's, it's in the moment. It's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a fake reality show. It's, yeah. There's, it's there's real. magic in the spontaneity. Yeah. You just don't get anywhere else. And especially in some of the shows now where the prizes are extraordinary, it, it's life changing. You know, of course, back in back in the seventies, you know, we do match game or something like that. Five thousand dollars, you could buy a we could buy a truck. So that was life changing. And now, of course, it takes a little bit more money. But uh, so, yeah, I just I, I I love the whole genre, and I you know I was so excited to be just a, a small part of it, and you know, a little footnote in it, and, and it was it was when I got the job, I was like. Really? This, this, yeah, this is happening? And like a dream has come true, huh? It was. And I, I took a train. Instead of flying to, to Philadelphia, I took a train with the Pullman car, the whole thing, for a couple of days sleeping on the train. I thought, you know what? I'm just going gonna, gonna to reinvent this experience. And I did. So and it was so much fun. How many episodes a day did you film? I think five. Wow. So around the we same do, as Legends. They, what they would do is they would bus in schools. So we'd have two different audiences. They would in the morning we'd have a school audience, in the afternoon we'd have a school audience. So I think we would film like I think three shows in the morning, break for lunch, they would get a new audience, and then we'd do the final two shows. 
So it was a full weeks of show, you know, in one day, just like all the game shows, they would all do password and, you know, match game, you know, Hollywood squares, all the shows. Well, and first of all, cost wise, they had to, you know, they had to minimize, you know, you minimize the costs and stuff for each per show and things like that. So, you know, but the sets and the prop people that, that reset the show after each, you know, we destroy like these rooms, like the moon room or mom and dad's bedroom or Alibaba's room or whatever it was. And the props were extraordinary. And these guys, these prop guys, you know, what they created on a, on a, a daily basis with, with the volume of destruction that happened, it, it, was, it was quite impressive. How long did it take for a reset? It, it wasn't long. It was maybe, because remember, the kids are sitting there, the, the school kids, so they're watching it happen, right? But it, it was quick. These guys, it, within like 15 minutes or something, like, because not every room was destroyed, not all six. So maybe they had three, three or four rooms to redo. Still, that's pretty fast. They sound like a race car pit crew where they like zone in exactly on what they need to put away and, you know, just disappear in a flash. <laughs> exactly. And, and of course, the next day they had to then, you know, take Alibaba's bedroom out and put something else. So that the show moved and had different rooms that it wasn't always the same rooms. So even that alone, the, you know, I, I loved it. The outer space rooms and, you know. It really kept things interesting and played a lot with like your imagination at home, just trying to figure out, oh, what room are they going to go to next? Or what kind of things will they find in there as they're like tearing it up? And for me, when I saw this on like Nick Gass and repeats in the early 2000s, that was part of the appeal to me because I kind of got my feet wet with Legends of the Hidden Temple, which has like some of a similar layout with different rooms that are themed. Um, but for this one, it's just more like I spy or, you know, find the hidden object. And it, it's, it's, it's kind of like a cross between Legends and Double Dare to me because you have the, you have the physical aspect of like just trying to find the object in the, in the room to room romp. But you also have the, the mental test more like Double Dare where you have to like find the hidden objects on, on the screen and circle them, you know, as fast as possible so that you can figure out the clues um, once you get to the room to room romp. So it's, there's a lot of interesting ideas here that, uh, the show creators, uh, played around with for the format of this, which I might add, uh, we're actually involved with double dare as well. Like I think Michael, uh, Klinghoffer, Robert Mittenthal, uh, Jeffrey Darby to name a few. Right, exactly. Oh, it, listen, Nickelodeon at its beginning, you know, creativity was extraordinary. It was so new and so fresh and it was a, a an incredible concept and they were putting a lot of money behind it, you know, and, and who knew what cable was going to happen to cable, who knew, you know, we, what it would be like, like it is today. So it was, it was a challenge and, and it was a real leap forward. And, you know, they had to get subscriptions. People had to just get Nickelodeon. You had to pay for it and teaching people, especially at the time when you used to free TV to get people used to having to pay for their TV was 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 a, an obstacle that we had to get over. I mean, I, I was going, I'll never pay for TV. I remember when that all happened. And now I think I've got, I've got it. I've got about ten different. I got Disney. I've got YouTube. I've got, I've, I've got it all. You know, some things stay the same over time. Some things change quite a bit. And I think paying for different TV that you want, I think, just changed form. But it's still essentially the same thing nowadays. <laughs> I, I I agree. I totally agree. Okay. Um, well, since we were talking about the room to room romp earlier, do you have a favorite room in particular that you'd like to visit with the contestants or a particular memory associated with like one of the things they had to find at all? Uh, each one was so unique. Um, and it happened so quickly. 
he had 60 seconds, you know, and, and, and I didn't know what object, when I went up to the room, I, I found out when I opened the card, which, which, what was in it. I mean, I didn't do, they didn't do like a, a before the show go, okay, in this room is going to be this and this, and this, mm -hmm. you know, it just sort of happened for me too. So I was in it, but what was the fun part was it was so violent. <laughs> and we're in a little as you can see in that picture behind you that we're in a little closed space and yeah. things are flying and i'm ducking and you know i'm having to get out of people's way and it was the excitement of it and then we run to the next room you know and it don't was, even have time to pick anything up you just gotta trash another one <laughs> just trash another one and it was just it was so much fun it always broke my heart i mean you know there has to be winners and losers and oh boy you know when you could tell this, some kid really, really wanted a certain thing, like the trip to space camp, um, and they didn't win it. The sadness, you know, having it, you know, that's that's the that's the dark side of a game show. Is yeah, you still have to wrap things up despite that. Yeah, and it, fortunately, you know, for Nickelodeon, and they they gifted the kids with a lot of prizes. So even even the kids that didn't win the big prizes got something really lovely, and so they didn't feel that they were left out. But uh, it was, you know, it was tough. That is the hardest part of being a game show host, I think, is, is, is the kiss off, saying goodbye to the losers, and uh, especially when they're kids. Well, kind of getting away from part of the, the, the sadder, darker part of it, do you, have, <laughs> do you have any favorite memories from doing the show? It was every day. It's kind of hard because it was... First of all, it was so much the same and yet so different every day, you know, because there were different rooms, different clues, different kids, but with the same format. And because this wasn't a stagnant game show, this wasn't sitting there like Password, where we're in the same set, doing the same things, guessing the words. We were running and moving around and dodging things that the just the entire physicality of it all. I loved it. You know, it just felt so... It felt unique. It felt fresh. It felt it was something I'd never seen before. Mm. And because a lot of the shows, you just think, okay, it's it's just trivia in a new package. Even today, a lot it's just trivia in a new package. But this, you know, hidden pictures and circle to find the hidden picture and circle it, and then destroy this room. And I, I love being able to say you can break anything. If there's a there were computer screens, I could go punch it right through. There were bases. There were lamps. There was everything they were just throwing things i mean come on i was a spectator i just i just sat back and watched these kids go crazy and uh and tried to be like a like a, a howard cosell okay like a plate right. of play <laughs> <laughs> uh but it was just it, the truth is it was an honor and i was i was as happy as you can imagine and it genuinely was a childhood dream for me it had come full circle and I cannot tell you how grateful that I am of, of that experience. It's very cathartic to hear about that. And uh, I'm sure for not only the people watching at home, but also for the people playing it too, just to like give those young viewers a sense of hope that, oh, maybe I can be on the show at a later date too. So I can, you know, tear things up just like them because where else can I do that? This is the Children Network for Kids, Nickelodeon. So they give me permission to do whatever I want, even though my parents won't let me. <laughs> and I think that uh, against the green attitude really helped them flourish in their earlier years to finally gain that momentum to do more creative things down the road. I agree. 
Uh, the one thing I was grateful for is we had no slime. <laughs> so I did that for Mark and I was sliming here. Sliming oh, yeah, there. that all that mess to he told shower. us about. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing you didn't have like an attic room to go up to. And then as soon as you pull that cord to let the lad sliding ladder down, pfft, slime everywhere. <laughs> shh, shh. Don't give him. No, don't give him an idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a long time ago. <laughs> gotcha. Well, um. Alex, do you have anything to uh, add to Wesley's uh, show before we let Skip Lackey in for Think Fast? I do. I have one final question, uh, and, and I believe there's a lot to be said about having these kind of answers coming from somebody who was on the show. Uh, I am very fortunate to actually have the Finders Keepers game here. And uh, I had showed it on Instagram Live once, and somebody wanted to get into an argument with me that this game was never released in stores. This was just given away as a prize. Do you know, can you confirm or deny if the game was ever released in stores or if it was just purely uh, a prize? Well, that's a great question. I, I know they gave it away. It was, certainly was a gift to be given away, but I mean, I never saw it in a retail situation, but I wasn't generally hanging out in the toy section. So- uh, I know I was. That's a, <laughs> But that's a really good question, and I, and I don't know. And, you know, all the shows I've done, because I do a lot of autograph shows around the country for the different shows, even for, you know, I'm the killer in a horror movie, so I even do horror conventions. But um, no one has ever brought the Finder's Keeper board game to me. All of the things I have signed, from everything from lunchboxes for Land of the Lost to, to things from Days of Our Lives to, to dolls from, you know, from Dragon Tales, all the stuff. No one's finders keeper has never never come. I did somebody just brought one of the original shirts they got as a kid with a I still have one of those in my in my closet in here. But um, but that's the only thing that I've ever signed with finders keepers. Well, Alex, you need, I was you gonna say if you ever if I ever come if you ever come relatively close and I'm able to come to a con that you're at, I'm bringing it and I'm gonna have you sign it. You got it. Yeah. Get, take pictures too for proof. <laughs> oh, you got it. You got it, man. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much, Wesley, for sharing yes, your memories you. with us. It was truly a joy to hear your uh, inside perspectives on working on Finders Keepers and uh, sharing some of these forgotten Nickelodeon memories with us. Thank you guys for having me on as a guest. I appreciate it. Buzzing in today with our latest game show is Skip Lackey, uh, the, a host of Think Fast, which is a Nickelodeon game show that aired uh, May 1st, 1989 to March 30th, 1990. Uh, it's pretty much like it draws inspiration from Double Dare and it features like very fast paced like brain bending puzzles and also visual puzzles as well that's similar to like Get, Get the Picture which is also around at the time. And then at the end they essentially uh, have a winning team that competes at the locker room where they have to come up with seven matches within 60 seconds by essentially like matching two on different sides and also uh, maneuvering through like finding a red herring that they have to pull a handle on to clear that. Um, the show is very fast paced, is very chaotic. Uh, it was a lot of fun too, just to see everything like fly by the seat of the pants. And uh, I'd like to hear a couple of memories from Skip about what it was like to host that show. Oh, well, you know, this was one of the first shows that was hosted down at, um, at Nick Studios in Florida. It was at the beginning of that. It was before the studio opened. Um, and it was, it, like you said, it was chaotic. I mean, you did a great job of introducing uh, the show better than I would have done. It's been 
30 years. I, you know, and I haven't really seen much of it uh, since, to be honest with you. You know, it was it was a blast because I was in my late 20s and I got hired. Uh, the show had already been run uh, like for one uh, season. So when you said it, it aired in May 1st, 89, I'm like, oh, I thought it came out in 1990. That was but actually the I, Michael Carrington era Michael before Carrington you. Carrington version, yeah. So uh, the show was liked by the executives at Nickelodeon and the kids liked it. They just, when they shifted, I don't know, they just decided they wanted to go a little bit of a different direction um, for the host. And, and it was chaotic. We basically, the first time we did the show, we, we came down, we were doing four shows a day. So every morning I would walk in, uh, we would do two, two shows in the morning, record and two in the afternoon. And I would learn all the games for the day myself. Um, and they would just show them and they would say, okay, play them. That was it. There were, the rehearsal lasted about maybe 30 or 40 minutes. And so we did, and we never practiced the games with anybody before. It was just, here are the rules, kind of looked at it. And then they said, don't stop unless everything goes to hell. If it just is a complete breakdown. So there were times when we were trying to do things um, and, and just keep up with the games and keep them from stopping. Um, and so it was a little chaotic. And, oh gosh, during our section, we, did, we were doing the locker room during for you know we were doing four shows a day and it was probably about 20 shows in before one of the kids won the locker room and so when the first kid won I I think I was way over the top energy wise because I was just so excited for the kid when he actually won the grand prize and I was jumping around and screaming just like he was or he and she like yeah Uh, finally (laughs) oh yeah it was like hey it worked (laughs) So it was, that was legitimate. Um, so it was, uh, you know, in most of the games, I was a little overamped because we never practiced them. So it was like everything was new to me as it was to the kids. So it was, it was an adventure for sure. Did you find it challenging to like keep up with any of the games all due to the nature of the puzzles? Because I know it's like a mixture of, you know, word matching or like, uh, word on scrambling and then some physical aspects like building towers out of like random piles of stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Well, it was funny because we had off off screen producers that would would were kind of yelling, not on not on. Uh, you know, we didn't have any uh, any headphones or anything, but they literally were off screen going, "Keep going, keep going," and you couldn't hear it on the mics. And and we we kind of knew what the what the answers were going to be. And then we had judges that would sit off to the side that would do live judging on the answers when they were close or something. So, yeah, it was a little chaotic. Uh, you know, it was uh, it, we, I was definitely flying by the seat of my pants uh, for every day. It was a challenge and fun. It was it was a blast. It was a really great um, atmosphere and a great group of people to work with. They were fun was their, you know, their their big number one thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think that goes along with the fact that Nickelodeon Studios opened up and it was all fresh and everything was new. So it really had that vitality to the to the shows that being that were being produced at the time. Um, yeah, it yeah. did. And and I ended up being I think when the kids first went through the studio tour, they had a, a lot of me helping them through the studio tour. I was kind of the anchor between the different segments 
of going through the entire studio tour. Came down and filmed for about a week for that. Oh, interesting. So that was kind of cool to, you know, actually go on the tour and walk through and the kids, you know, the kids didn't know. I was just kind of a look like a dad and I was an extra person on the tour, you know, watching along with the kids. It was fun when it first opened. That's fun. Yeah. Actually, actually reminds me of uh, when Mark Summers would like do these uh, interstitial things, I think for a double dare VHS and even sometimes in what would you do where they would just walk around Nickelodeon studios and open a door and be like, this is where all the, the GAC chemists assemble to like make fresh made GAC for all of our game shows. And then they just do like a little silly banter, like, Oh, you guys, why you got to throw that at me? Like, you know, before the show, save some for like double dares, physical challenges. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And some of that was staged, you know, um, we were doing all that. It was, you know, mo the, I, I would say the vast majority of it was every once in a while you'd run into somebody and it would be real, but yeah. Well, here we have in the other corner on what looks like the blue team is uh, host of Make the Grade, Lou Schneider. And Make the Grade aired on October 2nd, 1989 and ended on September 14th, 1990. And the premise of the show is that it's basically like Jeopardy, but for kids. And a little bit of like tic-tac-toe and connect four too as you see behind me on the screen uh, where you have to like match certain colors in certain categories so that you can fill all the lights on the on the like desk game board and whoever is able to accomplish that at the end of two rounds advances to the university rounds where they have to do seven rounds of different varying categories of trivia for a chance to win I think a thousand dollars for the grand prize or a prize package worth up to thousand dollars. No, I think we the whole thing was cash. I think it was like we putting cash in the kids' hand to ensure that they would be too nervous to win the cash. <laughs> That's an interesting tactic. Um, what what was the experience like uh, doing make the grade like in terms of like dealing with the kids and the games? Um, just tell us a little bit about your memories about that and getting into the show for the first time. Uh, first of all, it was my first job on television, um, other than commercials. This is my first, <clears throat> first on camera thing. And, um, I was a comedian in New York and I was founded at, at I think I, I was hosting a lot at Catch a Rising Star at the time. And that's where they saw me. I think Klinghoff, Michael Klinghoffer, who was the creator of the show and Bob Mittenthal, who was really the guy who ran the show. Um, Mittenthal was, is still a dear friend of mine and is, was a genius and is a genius, uh, and he could just sort of laugh at himself and laugh at what we we're doing, which is good because we had about 40 cents to make it each episode. And like Skip said, we, you know, we, we too were flying by the seat of our pants and, and, and as Skip, it's funny because I haven't thought about this in a long time. And we, you, you, you'd come in the morning, like we, we'd shoot, we shot on the West side of New York uh, in some old studios. Uh, we would come in, we shot four a day uh, and you'd come in in the morning and the director and the producers would go over what kind of challenges there were. There were we, we had these things called uh, fire drills on the board. A student, uh, student, student, these weren't students. They were, they would, and at some point these boards would flip over in the same way that, that uh, Jeopardy has a daily double, the board, which was, which sounded exactly like it was, the technology was exactly like the European train station or any train station of the day. 
Right, right. So the flappers would flap and all of a sudden there's a fire drill and all the kids would be mystified because they'd been told what to do, but they'd forgotten by then. And they said, okay, now come down here. And I'd have to tell them to get, come out of your seats and come down here for this, what was essentially a physical challenge to do some game. And it was always a variation on, of an old sort of carnival game. It would like, you know, interplanetary ring toss, interplanetary rings of Saturn. Well, that was ring toss. You're throwing, you know, and so inevitably they either didn't have enough rings or the planets weren't attached properly to the stanchion or whatever. Things were breaking and falling apart. And I had to keep a line of gab going because there were no, there were no, we didn't have any production assistants or any like stage hands. So I'm like, oh, let's go see more rings. And I did like, it was so painful. I look at these things now. You're watching me go and get props essentially. And then with, hustle back, here you go, keep going, keep going. And you're just, just keeping a line of gab going and you haven't, we had, Skip, I don't know, we had, I, I had an IFB in my ear. Oh yeah, we didn't. And so if a kid was A, petrified, B, mystified, or C, bored to tears, you had to sort of keep them going. And so as the kids would kind of like lose interest in the game about halfway through, you'd have to go, very tight game here. And then you say, and you were tempted to say like, come on, wake up, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that would be perceived as too, that would be perceived as too mean. And I would get, make fun of yourself. <laughs> I would hear from the person, make fun of yourself. And I would have to sort of tell some anecdote. Some of that was also because in our game, kids would either never win or win in five seconds. So that's not bad. That's not good for half hour TV. If a kid wins in five seconds, then I hear stretch, tell an uncle Jack story. And I'd have to tell some crazy man story about a family member. Like, well, it's funny you mention that. The crushed berries of the pepper and I grew plant. My uncle Jack doesn't like pepper. And I, you know, you put pepper on something. It's just painful, painful. So I'm having flashbacks. I mean, you're talking, you say, what was the, I, I think you had used the word fun and, and it was fun, but in the same way that, you know, it was fun in the way that like, you know, when you're a little kid in school and if you found a pin, you'd kind of like stick it through a thin layer of skin and sort of- <laughs> Oh, geez, I remember that. It would That's, hurt, but it would be a good hurt. Yeah, yeah be like- yeah, <laughs> and, and more, more creepy, more creepy than, than hurt. And, and that's the kind of fun it was. It was that kind of- It's also like the kind of fun where the kids like finally figure out how to turn their eyelids inside out right. and they stick and you're like- right. the, show would still, the show would still be on the air if I could have mastered that. I'd still be in <laughs> Oh, man. I would love to see it make the grade and think fast come back. <laughs> Lou, you reminded me of a story about be nice to the kids. So we had a quick little segment right before the show where we had to uh, talk to the kids. And we were given like three minutes to talk to the two kids. And then when we came out, I would write a few little notes about what they talked about and make some kind of dumb remark. And... I remember one time um, I asked a kid, uh, oh, so who's your favorite? He said he liked hip hop. And I said, well, who's your favorite hip hop artist? And this was back in 90. And he said, Bobby Brown. And I said, well, I guess that's your prerogative. <laughs> Which I thought that was funny. And I did it. I did it, it on the fly. It was funny. And so after the show, and I can't remember whether it was Klinghoffer or... I, it was one of the guys, Jeff Darby, one of the one of those guys, right? They came back up to me, one of the producers, and said, "Hey, you you were really rude to that kid when you asked him that question." And 
you told him, well, that's your prerogative. And I went, um, my prerogative, Robbie Brown, it's a joke. Um, and he still didn't get it. It was, it was very funny. But it was, you, you were trying, you were doing your best. Oh, it, it was, I, the, the crazy thing is like if a kid, the worst thing of all, by the way, that's how you talked about the university round. The, the show never had a university round in it at its inception. What happened was we had kids winning the game in 15 seconds, or, you know, like if the board, you know, luckily there were supposed to be some things built on the board that you would run into a fire drill or you'd have to change a desk with somebody or, you know, like that. Take a square, could, lose a square. Yes, you could extend the game. But occasionally some kid got lucky and ran the table. I remember this kid, Rory, ran the table and he was, you know, we were done by the first commercial. And so we stopped tape. And by the way, there was no audience. I don't know. You can probably tell there's no audience. There was a guy named Dan, I think his name was Dan, and he, was in, he wasn't even in my studio. He was in an office somewhere watching on a feed. And so I learned to play to him. If, if I said something, I kind of learned what he liked comedically. So I would make these kind of jokes and I could hear, because I could hear everything, he, he, I could hear him hitting the tickle button, like, ah, and I'm like, I would look, and I think I even said on air a couple of times, like, come on, Dan. Like, me. <laughs> it's funnier, it's funnier than that. Like hit that button, and, and and so I'm playing to Dan, and, and so the audience is there's no audience, and so there's like the giggles of the thing. And Maria Molito had a great voice; she was the voice of the show, and she she worked on Stern, I think, or, or and she 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 would talk to me, and we would banter back and forth. But that thing with you talking to the kids. So anyway, Rory runs the table, and now they stop tape, and. Um, they come out and go, what are we going to do? And someone went to an ATM and got $1,000. I think a couple of people had to go to an ATM and get $1,000. And, and we, I didn't think of it, but Bob came up with the idea of like, okay, we're going to get this kid, we're going to put him on a chair, and we're going to ask him these seven questions. And for each one, he can pass. And you know, we, we sort of came up with it very quickly. But I think it was like in real time. And, and sure enough, we, we, that became a People like that feature a lot. And so they, they wrote less questions, I think, so that we would get more university rounds because I think people liked it better. So. Wow. I really love the inception of that, that whole thing just blossoming. And I feel like, you know, with our podcast Splat Attack, a lot of the things just turn out to be happy accidents. Um, yeah. I don't know if yeah. you know this. Depending this is not a happy accident. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but what I was saying is, I don't know if you know this, whether you listened to the podcast previously or not, but our very first segment uh, evolved out that. of our third episode where we were interviewing Robin Ross and Christopher Lobel from Welcome Freshman 15, which were two shows around the time on Nickelodeon. Yeah, Welcome Freshman. I wrote on Welcome Freshman for about 15 seconds because then oh, wow. I didn't go to Orlando because I got a TV job and that also conflicted with Welcome Freshman. But yeah, interesting. Oh, wow. um, so the point is we had this like little debate where they're asking each other trivia questions to see like, which was the better show based on their arguments, uh, Welcome Freshman or 15. And I think we decided to draw at the end. I don't remember. Or uh, like, I think we had. Yeah. But um, out of that, we came up with ideas to kind of stretch our own show with like different segment categories with like a retro 90s Nickelodeon flavor. And the first one I came up with was after watching a couple of these episodes. And I'm like, let's call it think fast to make the grade because you have to think fast on trivia questions that are 90s Nickelodeon. <laughs> so if you hear previous episodes that we do, we actually use a mashup of both theme songs and we run like a gamut of questions for our guests to answer and play for points. So in a way you are like the four founders of that for our podcast. <laughs> I, I'm, I, 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 I'm so sorry that happened. 
Skip, I have a question for you as we leave the rails. Do you remember who wrote the theme for Think Fast? It was, was it uh, Ed Kelhoff. Okay, because Ed Kelhoff did our music too. Yeah. And, oh, wow. And Bob. And Finders Mitchell, Keepers. Bob, he probably did a lot of them. And Bob, and he also did like, by the way, he did like the Winter Olympics, not the Winter Olympics, but he did a lot of maybe CNN stuff. And the way you know it's a Kalehoff song, Mittenthal said, was you can always put the name of the show in the main melodic theme of an, an Kalehoff show. So in other words, so our show is, our show is make the grade, make the grade. That's how you know it's a Kale show. That's how I sung the theme song for our make think fast and make grade <laughs> segment. It, it's like I said, time to think fast to make the grade because I'm like, oh, this sounds like I can write lyrics to it on the fly, and there you go. And then for the fast, it's like think fast, da, 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 da. get all the questions right, think fast, you know. <laughs> That yep. is that is genius. I, I love the music that he does for all these game shows of Nickelodeon. Yeah. That was a that was an that's how they said that's how you know it's a Kalehoff song if you're ever concerned. I'm like, well, that's I'm funny. That is like, funny. Um, yeah. Do you remember me, Skip with wardrobe? Do you remember like they used to put me in shirt? First of all, they put me in some like they put me on in some sweaters that like even Bill Cosby at his heyday would have gone. No, that's too much sweater. Don't. <laughs> Same thing happened to me with shirts. I was going to say, you looked a lot like Phil Moore, Skip. <laughs> yeah, no, the same thing happened to me with with really colorful buttoned up shirts. Yeah. And they did, you know, they wanted something a little bit more formal. Right. So at one point they put yeah, the me in a bolo tie. Yeah. And, and that was clearly, you know, aging me. Did they do this with your shirts? The, the shirts they gave me, they gave me some great shirts and I wore them on stage as a stand up. But the key was they'd gotten them from runway fashion shows in New York, I think, or, or some sort of fashion thing. And so what they did was to make sure that you couldn't sell it, they would cut, they would cut a big chunk out of right below the collar on the back. So, that, so they'd ruin the show. But that didn't stop the cheapest man in show business, Lou Schneider. So <laughs> I money. So at the time. I would go to a, a dry cleaner or, you know, they, where they had tailoring services. And I would say, see that hole? Take a chunk of, because they're all 80s weird pattern stuff. I said, take yeah. a chunk of my shirt tail, which you'll never see because we're all tucking in our giant shirts. Take, take, our, take a chunk of that and sew it back there. And they did with, with varying degrees of success. Sometimes it just looked like an absolute plug, but sometimes they'd be creative and go underneath and it would be a little better. And uh, so I wore all that. I finally stopped wearing shows with giant shirts with giant hat, uh, you know, hat uh, patches on them. But they were good. For That's a while. funny. That is funny that you did that, Lou, because they gave me all the wardrobe when I was done too, and they were like, "Oh, you'll do appearances, so take all the wardrobe." Oh yeah, I know what because I because I did not go to Florida. That was a big deal. I thought Nickelodeon was going to sue me um, because I would not go to Florida. I was technically under contract, and I and I got out of it. Because, because CBS, it was a CBS show, and CBS owned Viacom, and Viacom owned Nickelodeon. So they, so they, got, me out of, they got me out of my deal. So I, I, I felt sorry, but not sorry. Right. No, it was yet, yet a, a different job. Different job. You know? And it was probably paying a little bit more. It might have, it might have paid a <laughs> just, little. Just a little bit more. <laughs> Look, if they paid me... 
if they paid me as a stagehand and as a host, it yes. probably would have been okay. You were doing double duty. You should be compensated fairly. Right. <laughs> um, one thing that actually came to mind, Lou, that I'd like to ask you real quick um, is I, I remember when we were doing our Nick Takes Your Over Your School episodes in previous seasons on our podcast. Yes. Uh, we happened to find like some footage. I think the winner was Robert Wren of like 1990, 1991, where you actually came to their school and did like make the grade in their classroom. Um, but I couldn't find much footage on that. If you have any memories I, of that, could you tell us a little bit more about it? I think, uh, first of all, I think we played Make the Grade in their auditorium, but I'm not sure. But I remember that, uh, I think that the musical guest was Criss Cross. Do you remember like they wore their pants backwards and stuff? Uh, I think, I, and, then they, and then it was another, maybe they had two. And then the boys, which was a very, a group of young boys. That's how they got the name. Were, were they boys to men before they came men? <laughs> they were not. These were boys who were boys. They were. They was, and uh, and so Summers went down there. He was already. He'd already been. He'd already done like thousands of shows. So he was on this thing. I'm sure he was road weary. My eyes were still pretty big and bright. Um, uh, Mr. Wizard was on the trip. Uh, we we you know you went down. I think we we're in like Charlotte, North Carolina. I think we we're in North Carolina. Um, we stayed in a hotel already, fancy for me. Um, it got on the school bus, not so fancy. Uh, came, came, got to this middle school, I was like, I guess it's a middle school. And it was Bedlam. Whoever was in charge of the Nickelodeon whoop em up machine knew how to do that. They got these kids screaming and yelling. You came off this thing, like no one's ever been that excited to see you. I don't care how much your mom loves you. <laughs> you get off this thing and it was pizza and pop and then they get the kids all hopped up on sugar and then you go in and make the grade all we did we didn't bring the set of course because that would have cost money um so i just asked trivia questions i just ran around asking kids trivia questions and declared a champion at some point i didn't have any money we didn't give any uh, money we didn't give it no hundred dollar bills to hand out <laughs> no 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 Nope. Uh, Summers, they, you know, they dumped some gack on some kids, crisscrossed, kept their pants on backwards, and everybody went home. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's all blur. Skip, did, you, you, did, you do, did you do a bunch of those, Skip? Or? You know, we, uh, we did. I thought you were on that train that we did when we oh. were opening, because they had, they had just about everybody that was in all the shows. No. And it was a little overwhelming. We did a train we took from New York. All the whistle way down stop. To Florida. A whistle and stop so, tour. Yeah. So <laughs> they were sending me ahead. They would, I didn't, I didn't get on the, I think I did one location the next stop. And so I was hosting all the whistle stops. Um, and so I don't remember how many we did, but I also did for six months uh, after the show came out, I went around to malls and did Saturday and Sunday. It was like a mall tour. And uh, it was called, it was like a studio tour where they were trying to, uh, the winners would get to be, go down and be contestants on the different shows. I just did those, for, uh, they used to bring us out to malls a lot. I used to just do it for promos. Yeah. They were, they were like, can you answer, are you, you know, I would come out of a bush. <laughs> a sixth grade social studies question about Beat It by Michael Jackson, you know, like the social studies. No, question. this was a formal game show, like a 30 minute show that these uh, two kids would be on and whoever won there were four shows a day and whoever won would get to do it 
And it was a huge success. They'd have four or 5,000 kids that would show up at each show and kids were driving, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles to just watch it. It, it was, it was um, you know, an idea of being a, like, you, you really got the feeling of being on Nickelodeon and how many kids really were rabid about it back then. My, my wife was a school teacher and I went to a, uh, you know, I, I went as a special guest to her school right? Um, and spoke to a couple of classes. And when I, you know, I said, you know, it was weird, you know, and the best thing about that was the kids submitted questions to me, you know, uh, yeah, like, right. great that, you know, great. Like, you know, you know, how many questions do you have to answer? And then stuff like, you know, like how much does the show weigh? <laughs> uh 16 tons <laughs> got me <laughs> oh my gosh it's like they're purposely trying to trip you up i was not a celebrity and then all of a sudden like for little kids you know for for the certain segment of the population you were a celebrity it was weird yeah there, it was it was weird walking down the street and little kids would recognize you and they would, you know, because I was living in New York too. And then, or you'd be at a somewhere where there were kids and the mothers, we pull them along and they'd be mommy, mommy, mommy. And you'd be like, hi, you know, parents didn't know who you were. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. It was like a, a little concept of fame. Yeah. And also if you, if you have the, if you have the right kind of parents, it was funny because they would be like, Mike, you know, my hairdresser's kid says he knows who you are. I told him he doesn't. I'm like, no, maybe he does. <laughs> Your parents couldn't care less. They couldn't think of any. And the weird thing about it, Lou, is at this point, you know, you guys were fans of the show, right? So how old are you? I'm about, well, I am 34. So I was about two at the time when it came out. <laughs> 36. Well, I've had four. Uh-oh. Everyone froze. Ah. Ex exciting and energetic things going now. But yeah. uh, I, I do wish that they had kept these same concepts and, and pushed it further because they really could have come up with some good stuff. I, I think it was, I think it went off at exactly the right time. <laughs> uh, I hate to say this, but we're going to have to repeat the last minute of conversation because it froze and I'm the one who's recording everything. No, uh, they had just, uh, Skip was making the comment that, uh, do you notice that we are the forgotten game shows? And then we had uh, addressed the fact that this Nickelodeon hasn't done anything with these once the shows were done. Yeah, it really upsets me because these are great fun shows that we relive. And that's why this episode title is called Remembering Forgotten Nick Game Shows, so that people who watch this and listen to it remember and want to go, go back to it and maybe give it some more life. Because that's that's why Skip gets the reactions the way he does because it's been so long and they've there's no re-airings so it's like I know your name why do I know your name that's why I know your name I used to watch the I used to watch the fire out of that show thank goodness for Nick Gass in like the early two thousands because they play reruns of everything that they had in Nickelodeon's vault because um, it was really difficult to find like the time slots the for the original airings in like the early nineties and late eighties. Uh, but with that, it's like, oh, I have like a pop-up TV guide in my digital cable program. I can see when Think Fast, Make the Grade, Finders Keepers is all on. I set my DVR and boom, I get to see it. By the way, they were all they were all non-union um, at the time. So 
So we never made another dime after the buyout, but I think that they might run into trouble with that now. So that may well be why they wouldn't, um, why they can't pay, why they can't rerun them. That very uh, well could be true, although we did sign away everything. Yes, true. Yeah. Why do lawyers like to destroy the world? <laughs> <laughs> it was the way Nickelodeon was at the time. They were operating on a shoestring. You know, it was, you know, it was more about the work and I was happy to do it. I had, I had a blast. I, I, my, my career was in, you know, in theater and commercials, voiceovers, did some, you know, a little, a little bit of TV before. And I went to film school uh, eventually, but this was kind of a, a quick little fun side tour in my career oh, yeah, absolutely same for me this it was enough money to keep me in new york like you know if i otherwise i would have had to be on the road i would have would have had to have been on the road as a comedian and i was able to stay in new york and work every you know every night and enjoy myself and it was great and that led to you know more opportunities so I, i'll never grudge <clears throat> i'll never begrudge nickelodeon for for any of this it was great yeah it was a blast I was actually just going to ask you, like, what are your takeaways from doing these shows so early on in your careers now that you've gotten to the point of where you are now? Because it sounds pretty pivotal, like a pretty pivotal time in both your lives. And also with the birth of Nickelodeon Studios happening around this time of just like uh, just a certain like shift. You want to answer that, Lou? Sure. Well, I always felt like this was the turning point for Skip. Um... <laughs> <laughs> More bolos all day, every day. <laughs> no, this, I just kind of, I, I, I just, I just kind of restated it. it. Was you know, I was in New York at a great time to be a stand-up comedian, and this allowed me to stay in New York as opposed to going back out on the road and working, um, you know, working those those clubs where no one in television or who was making TV casting decisions would have been. Uh, you know, I would never have been in front of those eyes, and so I was able to get. Uh, you know, a couple of series, a series out of New York and then moved to LA and get another series. And then of course that dried up, but I, but I met enough writers along the way that I knew that that's where my, you know, where my future was. And so, so it was a tremendous opportunity, you know, to, to learn and also just to learn the bare bones of TV. And also everyone was our age, Skip. I don't know if you felt that way. I mean, Klinghoffer, the guys, the executives were a little, little older than us, but not much. But not much. Well, Klinghoffer and Darby were a little older, but then guys like Mittenthal, he's younger than I am. And we were all just learning this by ourselves. And uh, like, so it was really fun, like to play and get that done on TV, like to be able to do it and get paid for it when you're really just kind of screwing around for a, a lot of time. It, it was, it was really fun. It was really fun. And um, yeah, so I, I, I think uh, it opened a lot of doors in that way. And in fact, when I got my first series, uh, the the one of the EPs on it said, "Oh, my kids love that guy," and he had kids who watched the show, so that was uh, that helped. Comes in handy. I'm really happy that it worked out for you that way because I know Definitely. it's a struggle for any creative to just get some momentum behind them with their career. Oh yeah. And what about you, Skip? What the what, you know? You know, it, for me, it was interesting because I had. Um, you know, I came from theater background and I had been a clown with Ringling Brothers, Barton Bailey Circus and had had done that with the clown college out of high school. So the comedy route was something that was, um, was, you know, was a part of my blood. 
but the the hosting thing was not something I'd ever thought about. And I enjoyed it. I don't know that I was all that good at it because um, I, I think I was a little overamped energy wise and just too excitable. But it was it was part of whatever how I how I came across. So it was wonderful. But the whole idea of everybody to being in the production, like you said, being about the same age as us really gave me the bug to go into production. So not too long after that, I, um, uh, I, opened, a, I opened a restaurant um, uh, during the whole time. I had this big sports bar in Arkansas where I grew up that would hold like 850 people. So that's where I channeled my money. And, uh, and then uh, went to film school in, uh, got another job doing a, a tour of a Broadway show fell in love, got married, had a kid. And then I, I realized you have no control as a performer. And I had done everything that I wanted to at that point. Um, so I went to film school because I wanted to have, feel like I had a little bit more control. It was a false sense of security, obviously. But I, when I went away to film school and then came back, uh, did I ended up uh, getting hired as a producer on this for all the networks on this special camera technology. Um, so that kind of pushed me, I want to say in a different route and then eventually out of the business where I had my own uh, uh, seminar business. So, and I had two more kids. So I wanted, I wanted to have a family and I knew I didn't want to be in, in you know, out of control for my career for the, for the whole time. So yeah, it was a, it was a, a bit more, more of a transition for me to to get out of being in front of the camera yeah uh it's funny when <clears throat> sometimes you transition out because it's your choice and <clears throat> a lot of times when you're in front of the camera you're you're transitioned out because it's uh someone has decided for you <laughs> you know and, it, and it's not it's not like it happens all at once it's just you know there's always new grist for the mill there's always going to be a new young guy there's always going to be a, a a change of regime somewhere and I, you know, I got lucky. The, the, the writers I knew on some of the shows that I worked on went on to do bigger projects. And luckily I was there for the ride. And so, you know, I met great people and, you know, I, I you know, the fact that I'm now at the, you know, I worked on Air Bill's Raymond for a long time and I've been working on the Goldbergs for 10 years. And this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really sort of at the end of this um, and feeling very grateful about you know Nickelodeon and everything else that happened. Every, everything was a step along the way. And you know, I view show business as, um, I've never been on one of these, so this is a real strained metaphor, but um, like a, a whitewater rafting trip where you are, uh, you know, you get on this thing and it's gonna be really fun and it seems fine. And then all of a sudden it gets hairy and your family members are falling in and out of the boat and you're pulling them back in and, and some guy named Cody is, keeping everybody alive and then just gets spit out at the end and everybody's like oh, oh, oh. And then we have everybody and and cody says well wasn't that fun and you go yeah it was great it was thrilling ter terrifying and he says you want to go again tomorrow and you go no <laughs> <laughs> you just described that our podcast <laughs> that show business yeah i i'm not going again I had a great time. Sometimes once is all you need to get yeah. your your full uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, and you know, Lou, you're the, that kind of that what you're talking about is I reached a point where I realized I was making a living looking really young for my age, right? So I looked much younger, 
like almost 10 years younger than my age. And when I got into my 30s, I was still looking young, but I was older. And I, you know, I was going into no man's land until you become either a character actor. And I was never going to be an ingenue. And so it was like, I knew I was going to get kind of lost there. I was working. I ended up transitioning and being Santa Claus for three years for Radio City, um, dancing with the Rockettes and, you know, was doing more theater, but it, it just, you know, it was like, okay, this might be a good time to just get behind the camera. Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, uh, my, my Phil Rosenthal, who uh, is executive producer, everybody loves Raymond and has a show on Netflix called Somebody Feed Phil. Um, my wife asked him back in the old days, like just at the beginning of a show that we were all working on, why did you, be, you know, you're so funny. Why did you become a, a writer? And he said, when I was an actor, I ate tuna fish every day. Uh, when I was a producer, I ate whatever I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> it helps so that's, that's right so that's so that's what happened to phil and uh you know what I, he, he was a smart man <laughs> he was yeah. A really smart guy. yeah no that's true well that's going true. back to uh, just the time on set for each of your shows do you have any favorite memories from doing the shows like any specific episodes or general ones you know i do i do and i i, I my kids found some of the Nickelodeon shows uh, on YouTube. I don't know why my, my young son, who's 12 recently, and he was like, Dad, is that you? <laughs> so we were watching one of the episodes, and there was one of these games called The Burping Uncles. Yes, I was going to ask about that. And honest to God, I didn't know what it was going to be when we did it, but we first did it, and they started burping, I, start, I, I started laughing and I couldn't stop laughing. I mean, it was a, a legitimate, I was tickled and couldn't stop laughing at these guys, at these actors doing this burping thing at, you know. Our next event is called Burp the Uncle. What we have here is we have three disgusting uncles. Let me introduce you. This is Uncle Pat. <coughs> this is Uncle Ralph. <coughs> and this is Uncle Slappy. <coughs> All right. Our three uncles were at the Lackey family picnic and they ate some disgusting stuff and they need to be burped. So what we're gonna do is, you guys have to take turns patting these pigs to make them burp. First, one player will go and they'll pat, say they might pat Uncle Ralph. And then the next player would come up, pat Uncle Ralph, and maybe add Uncle Pat. All right, very good. And we'll go on continuing, building a sequence until one of you forgets what the sequence is. All right, uh, are you guys ready? Uh, since, uh, since Mark, you, since you're behind, go ahead and pat that first uncle. Okay, very good. Now, get the same uncle and add one. All right. Uh, go, Blue. Okay, very good. Go ahead, Gold. All right. Go ahead, Blue. And, and you gotta add one, you gotta add one. Go ahead, Mark. Okay, there you go. All right, Gold, go ahead. No, no, that was not correct. You forgot to get Uncle Slappy twice. Blue wins, Blue wins. Come on down here, Mark. And so that was, that was a, a, fun, a fun moment. Yeah, on the show. Probably the... the one of the few things I remember, the rest of it's kind of a blur. Lou, what about you? 
Wow, I wish we had a burping uncles. I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like that might cost that might have cost money. Um, <laughs> uh, I, the, no, I kind of hit on it before. My favorite things were when uh, when there would get when there would be a lull, and I just get that make fun of yourself in my ear, and uh, you can see my you can kind of see the panic if you ever look at, at replays of the show, and I've seen them on, on YouTube. They're, they're too painful to me. I, I, I can't really watch them. I'm like, oh. And I know that my brother would, was in college at the time, and, and they, he was in a fraternity, and they'd watch and drink. They, they built some drinking game off what we were doing. Uh, I remember that. that like, yeah, we got a hammer doing, make the grade. I was like, okay. <laughs> Every time Lou says a joke about himself, drink. Right. It was, it was something. Like, it was something akin to that. Yeah. No. I, I. I don't have any. I. You know. My. I was happy to survive it. I really loved it. I, oh, my favorite memory actually. This is not part of the game, but I remember we we're stuck on. But first of all, one of the guys who wrote question packets for us was Phil Gurren, who became a big game show producer, and I think wrote for years on Jeopardy. I was like, so he was a good question guy, and then. The woman who was my host PA, who had put the questions out in in this desk that I had, she became a big producer at the Travel Channel. And then Bob, who is great and has written on a million Nickelodeon shows, he, I remember him at one point stuck for inspiration. He had tuna for lunch, and at one point he'd taken his shoe off and decided that he he, he stuck his foot in a scoop of tuna just to sort of like see if that would jog his. <laughs> But, that's crazy <laughs> wow what it felt like <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I, I don't know uh, you know i'm sure there was something you probably know the show better than i do but I, yeah I, actually one does come to mind but i'm not positive if it was one of from one of your season episodes or if it was from one of edward morris's episodes rob, after rob, rob edward morris yeah, he was yeah um there's one where like there's uh, a, a contestant named Megan who was really bright and she got a lot of questions early on and then there was a fire drill that happened and somehow like through the series of events she had to switch places with like one of the other kids and essentially all he had to do is answer one question by that point to win and his answer was bread and he ended up winning the university round and Robert Edward Morris asked him what are you going to do with all that money and he's like I'm going to buy nails yeah, no, that's not me. We, by the way, our, our kids weren't our kids weren't much better, but we didn't. I didn't have that guy. Yeah. But I do remember one of our. Kids, <laughs> I was I was dumbfounded by that response. Of course, I, I do remember that one of our we did. It was the year that Stanford, Connecticut, won the Little League World Series, or yeah, St Stanford or Danbury, whatever, some team in Connecticut, and um, and the the big star, oh. Uh, and we had a kid, we had a kid from that team and I was thunder. I, I was awestruck. We had a, we had a kid from that team on the show. And that, that was my brush with greatness. I was like, you won the little league world series. My God. Like, I'm like, and I like, basically ignored the other contestants. I was like, son, was it like? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little role so reversal here, huh? You're the famous oh, guy oh. now. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Oh, the kids were, Oh, some of these kids are like, what? Come on screen for screen for personality. <laughs> oh yeah no that was that on our show too come on i'm so excited like you said you gotta go 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 you know push them along because their energy would drop too in the middle of the game especially when it was a little confusing they were shell-shocked oh yeah oh you can see the best part if you the, i mean it's terrible to watch but when you watch the 
and you can tell everyone's lost. You can just look at the kids going like this. <laughs> they have no idea where to go. They don't know what to do. It's 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 horrific. It's horrific. <laughs> and someone who directs when, TV when they, now, we would be cutting. When they were auditioning me for Think Fast, there was a sh another show in New York called Total Panic. On our next Total Panic, we'll hear a dog talk. And we'll put a kid inside a video game and make him eat bugs. Ooh. And I'm going to teach you what a wet willy is. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Nickelodeon's Total Panic, Sundays, 9.30, 8.30 Central. Be there. And, and so Total Panic, Molly Scott and um, who was the other host? Um, uh, Greg somebody. Anyway, they had me come on and do a little segment and do a little a little game um not from think fast so they just had me on as an i think an actor or something and they wanted to see how i handled live audience so they actually you know put me under fire so that was uh, that was an interesting time is it like your testing ground for uh, think fast like like which one like your testing ground total panic before you did think fast or was it after yeah or they they made me they kind of gave me a, an experience to see if i could do it okay and they literally said this is going to be your final audition on camera live where they're recording wow no pressure so <laughs> no no pressure do or die with the job yeah greg lee greg lee was the, greg uh, lee. he did uh yes. where in the world is carmen san diego that game yes. from pbs yes right yeah. Greg Lee and I did a promo with him for Nickelodeon uh, at one point. He was a nice guy, super nice guy, yeah. super nice. He both he and Molly were really nice. Yeah, I loved his energy on that show when I watched it as a kid. He was great. I remember being screened. I was screened for my. I was screened because I'd been. Uh, in, in other words, I, they hired me because I was good in a comedy club dealing with live audiences. And then all I had was a guy with a keyboard. <laughs> How ironic! <laughs> no audience, right? No, we had no a full audience. audience. They, no audience. They would bus kids in from schools and have them there half a day. So by the end of the second show, they've been sitting there for hours, oh, probably half asleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You can see it when they pan through the audience when when it was the second show. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, it, it just makes you really internalize like all the stuff that goes into making a game show happen and keeping that energy up for the half hour. It doesn't seem like oh, yeah. much from a viewer standpoint, but from a, like a producer or show host, there's, there's a lot of moving parts. You got to keep like a lot of spinning plates from falling over. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. A little kid, when you're a little kid, the idea that you could someday go to a place where TV is being made. I don't know if there's still that magic, but in those days, like, like the idea that Nick, that you could go to a Nickelodeon show, like you said, Skip, thousands of kids would show up to to be contestants mm -hmm. in like the preliminary game to get to go to Florida to do it. Like, what a magical experience! Be incredible. Uh, I don't know if that exists anymore. Yeah, I don't know that it. I don't know that it does either, uh, Lou. And you you reminded me of this. There was this one little kid who came to that live experience and waited afterwards. And I would sign every kid's autograph. I would sit there for hours signing autographs and talking to each child. And one mom came up and said, we have driven 400 miles, spent the night here last night because my son saw that you were gonna be here and you are his hero. And so I, I just sat there and he was like four or five years old. But, you know, he was the same thing, uh, just that looking at me 
staring like he couldn't believe it was me. So I spent so I spent a ton of time with him. I spent at least a half hour just talking to him afterwards and took him backstage. You know, kids like that, you just you have to. It uh, really makes I, it worth that's it. That's the way I was. It does. It's yeah. what it's all. It was what it was all about. Uh, the only question I have left to ask is, uh, would you think either game show could be adapted for a modern audience? I mean, I know times have changed and a lot of dynamics have shifted and there's a lot more media to watch nowadays on all these different platforms. But, uh, do you think there's the possibility or at least potential, uh, in like the heart of what made these shows special back in the nineties potentially come back in like the 2020s or even 2030s? Uh, you know, I, I think if it was written correctly and there are enough people that remember like i think double dare could definitely come back right because there are enough people that were huge fans of it i think there would be enough parents and kids that would sit down and watch it there's got to be somewhere where there's an audience for it there's an audience for everything so yeah i mean i think i think the show could you know would have to be uh, a little bit more slick and a little bit more uh intelligent not as not as goofy because goofy was in back then but, uh, you know, I think so. What about you, Lou? Uh, I think Nick, uh, <clears throat> I think you're right about Double Dare. I don't think Make the Grade could come back because um, I feel like it was a rehearsal for something that uh, had yet to, to be perfected. So uh, they could, you know, it's it, basically, they've, they've done a better version of this with um, the various forms of Jeopardy. Um, and I don't know that you need the physical, the physical challenges of, of, of make the grade never really worked. And it also, the, the idea that you could answer all these questions, you've done a very, very good job. You've been the best contestant and then it can all be wiped out by chance. Uh, you know, like you can get, you know, that, that a fire drill could come up and you could lose your position. It felt, it was always, it was always the thing about the game that bothered certain people and bothered me. So I don't know, I, I wouldn't, I, I, you know, unless you had some tremendous host <laughs> hey if anyone's interested i'll host uh make the grade i mean i already know the theme song <laughs> uh, no i i appreciate your your candid and you know candid answer and honesty lou sometimes things don't work out the way we thought you know sometimes it's pie in the sky and it it takes a lot of uh courage and reflection to think well some of these ideas were good in theory but they just don't execute well and, um, you know, it had its time in the spotlight and that's how it's going to be remembered. So I, th I think that's, and maybe that's why we're both. the forgotten shows too. Yeah. <laughs> we, we still remember them because we grew up with well, them. Well, we appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, we do. Um, yeah. I appreciate I blame it. the union. Yeah. <laughs> Viacom. <laughs> I knew there's something wrong with them. As soon as they changed their logo from that floating silver V to like the, the rapid squiggle, I'm like, Oh, that looks like shark teeth to me at the end of every episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Skip and Lou, thank you both so much for being a part of this episode and for sharing your memories okay. on your time on Nickelodeon and how it transitioned you to further greatness in your careers. So thank yeah. you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank guys. you guys for remembering it. Thank you. Yeah. See you, Skip. Bye, guys. Thank you. <laughs> All right. See you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. All right. Now that we've had this 
incredible uh, experience of having these three legendary hosts that should be in the same tier with other game show hosts because they have truly have a lot to share. But uh, this will be the first time that our segment at the end of the episode is going to be very, very different. So what we're going to do for our segment at the end of the episode is we're actually not going to do one at the end of the episode. Uh, instead of it going to our uh, con our contestants, instead of it going to our special guests, and instead of it being each other, we're actually going to be doing this live with you, Slimesters and Gagoids. Uh, we had recently recently done our retro replay on the Nick Takes Over Your School 2 episode, and we are going to be doing this live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Now, I say we, as in Splat Attack, but it will actually be me. Brett will be unable to join us, but we are actually going to be hosting this on Thursday night, July the 21st at 8.30 Central Time. Uh, so tune into Instagram. You can find us at Splat Attack Podcast on Instagram. But what we will do is we will be doing retro replay, and they are all going to be about clips that you've from Make the Grade, Think Fast, and Finders Keepers. And we're going to see how many questions you all can answer, and it will be our first interactive segment. So make sure to be there. It's going to be very exciting, and I can't wait to see the results. I mean, this is just really taking it to the next level where we're reviewing and remembering the game shows, and now we're you know, becoming the game show, like just taking that knowledge and putting it out into the world. So definitely Slimesters and Gakoids, you know, participate, have some fun, relive the slime filled past with us by interacting with us. And uh, yeah, let's make it great. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll make the grade. We will make the grade, just not <laughs> through a fire drill because that's cheap and cheap. <laughs> well, Brett, what is our closing question for the day? Well, Slimesters and Gakoids, we want to hear from you. Yes, you. What is your favorite, uh, you know, forgotten Nick game show memories? Like, do you actually remember Finders Keepers, Think Fast, or Make the Grade? Could it be something else? Like, get the picture. Wild and Crazy Kids, out of here. You're on. Or anything else in the echelon of Nickelodeon game shows that we may or may not even know. Even some obscure pilots. Let us know through our, you know... Email splatattack2020 at gmail.com and we'll share your answer in a future Mona's mailback segment because we love to hear some of the answers you come up with. And I think it's just a great opportunity to continue sharing the memories together. Fully agree. Don't mm -hmm. miss out. Let us know what's on your mind and I'll see you guys on Thursday night, which by now, by the time you're hearing this episode, hopefully will be tomorrow night. Thank you, Wesley. Thank you, Skip. And thank you, Lou, for being here tonight to relive some amazing game show memories today and also shed some light on some classic Nickelodeon relics worth watching after all these years. It's an honor to relive these memories with all you three and, of course, our Slimesters and Gakoids. Now that we've sealed up and reburied the time capsule at Nickelodeon Studios, we're going to head back to current time and uh, I think we're going to actually do something interesting. Um, you know, we did a season one overview last season to kind of recap all the stuff that we did because it just went by, you know, in the blink of an eye. And I think we're going to do that again and make it a staple of our podcast. So, you know, at the end of every season, we're just going to do an overview of all the different episodes and, you know, highlight some stuff and even share some user responses of what like they like to hear about and what they enjoyed about the podcast over the past season. So tune in next time for our season two overview on Splat Attack. It'll be episode S2, and that's how you know it's a season two overview. 
Um, other than that, you know, let's uh, hop back into that time machine, make sure that Nickelodeon time capsule stays buried until like 2042, when I think it's supposed to be unearthed properly at the 50th anniversary. And without further ado, Alex, will you drain the slime tank for us, please? Aye, aye, co Captain. But first, let's hear what we've won so far from our announcer, Hardy. Wesley, they've got the Franklin Spelling Ace and Word Wiz, the Casio Keyboard, the World's a Wonder Package, the Skateboard and Scooter, the Typewriter, the Boat. They've also got the Instant Prize along with the cash. They make the prize package almost $2,700 each. That sounds amazing, Harvey. I can't wait to bring it home and also go to space camp. <laughs> Splash <laughs> you later. Bye, guys. Reprise the theme song and roll the credits. Hard to believe, folks, but it's time to say goodbye. Nighty night. Hey, check us out next time for more adventure and another great legend of the Hidden Temple. What do we do till then? Chill for a couple. We'll be back. You're on, Nick. And it was time for the superhero to move on. I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Oh, bye-bye. We had a great time having you. Hope you had fun here. We had fun having you folks. Please join us tomorrow for more Make the Grade. Bye, everybody. We had a good time. Hey, this is Skip Lackey, and we're coming to you from Nickelodeon Studios in Orlando, Florida at Universal Theme Park. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Yes. Are you ready to make the grade? How many years was George Washington president? It's Nickelodeon's new show where you need speed, strategy, and plenty of kid wits to prove you're no dimwit. What's the capital of France? Paris. Finally, you can strain your brain on all the stuff you wish they'd ask in school. Who is the lead singer of the Rolling Stones? In the first kid-tested, teacher-rejected brain game. Make the grade. Weekdays at 6.35, 30 Central on Nickelodeon.